Hello, I'm Dawn Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. The goal of reading is to comprehend text. We oftentimes view, and perhaps even instruct comprehension as a one-dimensional aspect that is a product of reading. Is comprehension more of a process rather than a product? Joining us on Patent Pod to explore reading comprehension is Dr. Hugh Katz. Dr. Katz, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. We're excited to have you. Good morning, Don. I'm uh, pleased to be here as well. I'm joining you from my back porch in Tallahassee, Florida. It's a beautiful morning and uh, glad to have the opportunity to talk to you. Oh, well, wonderful. We're excited to be with, here with you. Let me just ask you, just to kind of start us off in this conversation, what um, or how did you become interested in reading comprehension? Let's start there before we really dig into it. When I, when I first got in the field, I was my attention was directed toward dyslexia. Uh, it runs in my family. And I was interested in the phonological basis of dyslexia. I got involved in a longitudinal study uh, where we followed kids until the, in the, into the middle grades. And, and rather than just looking at word reading, we began to look at reading comprehension. And we had quite a few kids in, in that study that had language problems. And according to the simple view that argues that reading comprehension is a combination of word reading and listening comprehension, we'd expect some of those kids that didn't have word reading problems, but had language problems would have difficulties in reading comprehension. Uh, and that's what, what we found. Um, after that, uh, uh, we took some of the same ideas into another project, which was part of the Reading for Understanding uh, initiative funded by Department of Education. Department of Education was interested in um, if they could determine how they might improve reading comprehension within the U.S. because there was great concerns about how poor uh, third, fourth graders were doing on, on, on the state and national tests. And so they, they funded this initiative at $120 million. And uh, I was part of one of the groups that, uh, that uh, looked into instruction to improve uh, reading comprehension. And the results were a little mixed. What they showed was that uh, uh, we got uh, changes or improvements in uh, some of the investigator um, uh, develop assessments, but not on standardized tests. Mm. Right? And that was disappointed, disappointing to quite a few of the investigators. But, but I think early on, I kind of recognized that there was a mismatch between the way we were measuring uh, reading comprehension and the way that we were teaching comprehension. Right. So really this kind of misalignment through your through your looking at um, disabilities like dyslexia and language disorders bring you to reading comprehension, This noticing this misalignment between how we teach reading comprehension and how we assess reading comprehension really brought you um, to your work today. So I appreciate kind of knowing a little bit of the backstory because I think that's important to know when we consider the conversation moving forward. Let me ask you this. When we think about reading comprehension, we often think about knowledge. So what role does knowledge play in reading comprehension? Can we, can we go into uh, that a bit? Yeah, Don, I mean, that's what actually uh, caused me to think a bit more critically about the way we were thinking about reading comprehension mm -hmm. um, is that that I grew up in an era where we paid quite a bit of attention to 
the subject matter that we were comprehending, and we recognized that the, that knowledge of the topic was a critical factor in in, in comprehension. That uh, one needed to have some knowledge of of what they were reading about to actually build an understanding. Right, the knowledge you have. Uh, gives you a mental space to put the information, the new information in, in, the, in the text. It helps you organize uh, uh, the incoming information so that you don't go down blind alleys in your, in your uh, thinking. Uh, it allows you to make inferences. Uh, the author uh, doesn't tell us everything we need to know to understand a text. Uh, the author relies on the readers to infer some information from their past knowledge. And so one needs to have that background knowledge to be able to make those inferences. Uh, it's also important for memory. We remember uh, items better if they're already held in, in memory to begin with. Uh, uh, other things knowledge does for us, if we know something about the topic, we tend to be more intellectually curious about it. So we did, we, we're more interested, more motivated to learn more if we already uh, know a bit more about about the topic, but somewhere along the along the way, from you know early on when I began studying reading comprehension to you know the uh, recent work, we kind of forgot about knowledge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, how? Why is that, Ben? Why do you think we kind of forgot about knowledge? I mean, you're talking about really, it's that saying you have to know something to learn something. That Velcro idea. You're talking about. Um, making inferences, memory, curiosity, then where along the way did we forget about knowledge and, and why did we kind of drop that by the wayside? Yeah, I think we started thinking about reading comprehension if it was a skill, something you could teach and then you could use that skill to understand what you're reading regardless of what the topic was. And I think we went there because of the way we we communicated and talked about comprehension. We talked about it as if it was a component of reading. So the National Reading Panel did this uh, study, review of the literature and so forth. But when it came out, it was presented in component parts to reading. And reading comprehension was one of those components, right? Kind of like phonological awareness, decoding, fluency, right? Um, and, and those are skills like activities that can be taught independent of the context necessarily in which they're in which they're used but reading comprehension is not like that reading comprehensions is probably the most complex thing we do on a daily basis right it's closer to thinking than it is to some skill level uh, uh, ability like like word decoding or, or phonological awareness and and the way things are presented influence the way we think about them. So when we see some of those diagrams or those figures coming out from the from the a National Reading Panel that shows uh, reading comprehension in the same size box or the pillar or whatever we see in there, uh, th that uh, is the same as as it is for uh, phonological awareness, decoding, fluency. We get the impression that we're talking about something that's similar in terms of complexity and, and malleability, and it, it it's not. You know, I think that's a really great kind of point to capitalize on here is, is comprehension is one of the most complex skills that we engage in every day of our lives. And what I hear you saying is we kind of inadvertently put it in this isolated box as if it's a component versus a long-going process that is multidimensional 
um, that we need to maybe reframe the way we think and talk about reading comprehension. Yeah, I think you're right there, Don. They, they, uh, uh, we, we've known that reading comprehension is multidimensional for a number of years. The RAND uh, study that was done um, over 20 years ago uh, recognized the multiple dimensions that are that are involved in in reading comprehension. Uh, but again, we we kind of forgot about that when we started talking about it within the same sentence, within the same context as some of these skill uh, behaviors. But uh, reading comprehension does involve skills, right? Uh, uh, skills such as word reading and uh, uh, phonological awareness, uh, some strategies that we might use for for, for comprehension. But but it involves much more, right? Uh, particularly important, as I said before, was the knowledge base, right? And so one's comprehension ability is going to vary considerably across different subject matters. So it's hard to think about reading comprehension as if it was a single thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that it depends upon what it is that you're that you're reading about and why you're reading, right? The particular task that that's, that you're being asked to do. Don, you mentioned before you said that reading comprehension was the goal of reading, but it's actually not the goal of reading. The goal of the reading is whatever we do with the comprehension, right? Whether we're trying to, to uh, understand an argument that's being presented to us, some historical account, or, or uh, try to learn from a science text, or uh, understand what happened in you know, locally in town when we read the newspaper or something like that. Those are the different activities that we engage in for uh, for comprehension. And one's experience with those different types of activities will influence how well you understand, right, along with the different topics that you might be reading. It's such a it's such a great way to rethink and reframe um, how we approach reading comprehension. And I I want to just pivot for a, a moment here. And you started to allude to this, but I want to draw our attention back to it. Knowing that reading comprehension is multidimensional, right? That it's 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 a, a group of skills that make up this process that we're going through. Is there a reliable way to assess reading comprehension? I mean, we're talking about knowledge. We're talking about tasks we're talking about curiosity and interest how do we reliably assess comprehension is that possible yeah let's 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 reframe that a little bit different you said that reading comprehension involves a variety of skills well that's part of it there are Mm -hmm. skill-like activities involved in comprehension but there's also knowledge base and there's also uh uh, thinking uh, uh uh higher level cognitive activities working memory so forth so it's a host of different cognitive uh, resources that we rely on when we engage in comprehension. And so because of that, it's really not possible to reduce it to a single score, Mm -hmm. right? So a single test of reading comprehension uh, 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 doesn't really tell tell us what we want to know, right? So for, for one reason, it depends upon the test that we give, right? That that tests uh, include different topics, and they have different ways of gathering the information, whether they're open-ended or they're recall or they're uh, multiple-choice types of, of uh, questions. And I, this was illustrated quite nicely by Jan Keenan and her group in, in, at uh, University of Denver. She had a, a thousand uh, kids that had taken four different uh, reading comprehension tests. And she looked at the correlation between 
uh, each of those combinations of, of two tests and found out that the that the correlation was only a, about I think it was 0.54, which is kind of a a, a moderate to low correlation mm-hmm. for two things that are supposedly measure the same thing. But but what what drew my attention to it was that she then went and identified the the lowest performing 100 kids on each of the tests. That's the, the lowest 10th percentile. And look to see how many kids that were in the lowest 10th percentile on one test were on the lowest per 10th percentile, 10th percentile on another test. And found on average, it was only 43%. Meaning that you have less than, than half a chance right, of being identified as having a severe reading problem right if you go from one test to another test right and and basically that's because of the, the tests involved uh have, have different subject matters that, that's on there and they're asking kids to do different different things right um so uh i advise people not to use a single measure of reading comprehension and think that they now have some measure of that child's ability to comprehend text now, some people suggested maybe what we could do is we could just combine um, several different tests and get an estimate of, of ability. Um, and, and I think that's a reasonable thing to do. The problem is, when once we get that combination, we have something that doesn't really, really tell us much about what you do to improve it, and it tends to be a measure that's not easily improved. So we can't use it as a benchmark to then do some intervention and see if the, the child improves over a you know five, six month period or so forth. Those types of average abilities on, on reading comprehension tests don't change very quickly. Right? I think we learned that uh, from the Reading for Understanding initiative. That, really clear in that that it was very hard to change those those performance on those standardized uh, reading tests so what i advise people to do is to do two things one is to is to make sure you test the skill level uh portions of reading comprehension like word reading right most kids that have problems with reading comprehension have some difficulties in word reading right either inaccurate slow uh don't understand the morphology that that uh uh, is important for later word reading ability. Uh, also measure language ability, all right? Vocabulary, knowledge of grammar. Uh, it's a bit harder to change, all right? It's gonna be one of those things that takes uh, months of, uh, uh, of work with uh, lots of people working on it to see changes in, in language, but I think it's important to know what kids' language skills are like when you're trying to understand their comprehension. And then the other thing is, is to look at at uh, educationally relevant comprehension activities. What are kids doing in school that require their comprehension, right? So, uh, for example, one of the things we ask kids to do is evaluate uh, arguments or differences in points of view, right? And, and so we could have uh, children do that, look to see how they do that, and use that as information that we could then use to to provide some intervention. Or if you think about uh, narration, we could uh, uh, ask them to evaluate uh, uh, characters, uh, emotions, motivations, and, and how those 
those motivations, emotions impacted the actions they took in the stories, right? Um, so there, there are a variety of things that we ask kids to comprehend for that are educationally relevant. And once we know how they perform on it, we could, we could teach them to do those things better, right? We don't have a lot of evidence that that, that will uh, transfer from one subject matter to the, to the next. Uh, but I think we'll begin to find that there is some transfer there, certainly a lot more transfer there than we see in the transfer of, of teaching reading comprehension as if it's a skill. Yeah, you know, you had mentioned this, and I'm going to repeat it. It's really not possible to reduce reading comprehension to a single score. And so what you had said was, you know, consider testing those uh, skill levels of reading, looking at language ability, and then really capitalizing on those educationally relevant comprehension tasks. And I think that's a good way to kind of frame how we may look at um, getting a, a gauge on where students are with comprehension. So then help me out here, you know, and, and let's just kind of briefly talk about this then. If we're thinking about, um, you know, where do we put our instructional focus? Where do I put my work efforts? Is it in traditional comprehension instruction, which I'm, I'm kind of gearing towards not based on our conversation? Is it towards background knowledge? But then we also have to look at those components you had talked about. So where do I put my efforts if I'm an instructional leader in a classroom? Yeah, all right, so the first thing I think we need to, to, to do is reconceive reading comprehension as a multi-dimensional phenomenon, right? So to get people to start thinking about it being something that you don't teach, right? You cannot teach reading comprehension. What, you, what we can do is we can bring about the conditions that allows a child to comprehend, right? And part of that is teaching some of those skill level portions to the comprehension. So we want to make sure kids can read words uh, accurately and fluently, right? Uh, because, again, most people who have comprehension problems have difficulties with word recognition and fluency as well as other things that they might have problems with. All right? so, so we would want to make sure that we're, we're assessing and, uh, and providing instruction uh, that uh, allows kids to access the text so that they can understand the text. All right? uh, we want to make sure that children are acquiring the vocabulary that will allow them to understand text, particularly like tier two words that are that are words that go from one subject matter to another subject matter and don't typically occur within the spoken conversation, right? But the important thing is that we don't wanna teach those words independent of the context in which they might occur. So we, we would wanna to do this instruction within a content-rich curriculum. Right? And there, are, there are, is a movement toward uh, changing uh, English uh, language arts instruction from kind of skill-based, uh, independent of context uh, instruction to doing it within a, uh, a rich uh, uh, context base. So within social studies, within science, for example, right? and doing the reading comprehension instruction there. So in my world, there would be no reading comprehension workbook, all right? So you wouldn't work on reading comprehension by having these passages you read and you try to answer questions and so forth. You would be doing reading comprehension within the science text or within the social studies uh, text. Mm -hmm. okay? 
Uh, that doesn't mean we don't do some of the traditional things we've done with strategy and instruction. Um, uh, part the, as I said before, uh, reading comprehension is thinking, right? It's thinking with a book in your hand, and you have to think in particular ways when you're when you're reading, right? It takes cognitive uh, uh, engagement to to uh, uh, to understand what you're reading. You have to think about what what you read, and that's what strategies do to do for us to a certain extent, as they draw our attention to to the text and, and cause us to think about what's in the text. When we're asked to summarize what we read, we've actually got to think about what we read and and uh, and and become more cognitively in, engaged in it. Uh, the, the slight difference in the way I think about it is that the strategy we would teach would be dependent upon what it is we're asking the child to do with the text or what subject matter we might be engaged in. Right? So a science text, the strategy you might use in a science text or, or the uh, the help you might have could be very different than what it might be in a history text or social uh, studies text, right? Or a text that that involves some sort of uh, opinion. You have to evaluate the opinion and so forth, right? So you'd make that specific to uh, to the text, but but uh, the the helping kids become more cognitively engaged in what they read is a critical part of teaching reading comprehension. I love that you had said, you know, we don't really teach reading comprehension. So we have to wrap our brain around that. But we really want to bring about conditions allowing children to comprehend. And I think, um, you know, I think that's a, a wonderful way to kind of capture this understanding of a multidimensional um, understanding of reading comprehension. And I'm so appreciative that we had the um, opportunity to speak with you today about this. So Dr. Katz, thank you so much for joining Patent Pod. I want to leave us on that note of content-rich curriculum, um, conditions allowing a child to comprehend, being purposeful and meaningful in the tasks that we ask children to do and being very intentional about that. So thank you so very much for joining Patent Pod today. It was a joy to speak with you. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I enjoyed uh, speaking with you as well. All right. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.